0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just Dow It, the podcast for people starting DAOs. I'm Adam Miller, and I'm your host. I'm the CEO of MyDAO, which provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. And prior to starting MyDAO, I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. I am really excited to welcome Humpty to the podcast today. I'm gonna to give you the chance, Humpty, to give a brief introduction right now and uh, make sure to tell people what makes you an authority on DAOs. It's
1: wow, that's a lot of pressure. Okay. <laughs> so, first things first, hey everyone, uh, Humpty Calderon here. Um, so I've kind of been in the space since about 2016, speculating at the time, new asset class, woo-hoo, um, but really didn't dive deep into what made this space special till about 2018. And in 2018, I, through my local meetups, met some uh, developers that were creating this new Application this new way of uh, engaging communities through the delegated proof of stake ecosystem. Um, we launched uh, our first uh, multi-chain validator node uh, on a on Tron. So that was a network that was at that time just launching their delegated proof of stake ecosystem. And so soon after launching that, we were well received by the community. We were the first community powered uh, node and we got over 50% of the delegated stake. So we were doing something well, (laughs) I think we, we struck on something there in terms of like what it, what it meant to connect with the community, to engage them, to give them a place to just, uh, create meaningful value for themselves, but also for the network or the community that they love. Um, we then went off and did the same thing across like five or six different blockchains. In 2020, uh, when I was looking for something new, some new challenges, I learned about Decentralized Identity. Uh, I joined a project called Ontology as a contributor, have been helping them create these connections and relationships with their own community, but also with developers to kind of build out that ecosystem. And then soon after that, started going deep, deep down the rabbit hole of DAOs because I had heard just briefly what they were. Um, after having bankless down my own podcast, I really wanted to dive deep into what made them tick and why communities were coming together, and the technology that had evolved since I was building these community-powered projects, you know, years before, where we had to build all these things from scratch. What the tools were that were being developed around that, and so I joined about like a hundred DAOs or something like that, Ooh. because I just wanted to learn what it was that brought these people together. Uh, what meaning they found by working, collaborating together, but also the gaps, the challenges, right? Um, and so that's kind of how Orange Protocol came to be, the product, the protocol that I co-founded, and really taking that from what was a DeFi protocol, where we were developing this uh, reputation protocol for uh, DeFi, to a DAO protocol, where we were actually looking to enable both DAOs and their contributors, to find meaning behind their relationships in how we onboard communities, how we align incentives to those communities, and how we govern those communities.
0: That's awesome. And uh, Humpty, I love your podcast. Uh, It's one of the podcasts I listened to that helped get me into DAOs before I even had my own podcast. So you want to tell people a little bit about your podcast, too, before we dive into the news report?
1: Yeah. So I'm wearing the hat. Uh, one of the few pieces of swag that I'll wear, uh, Crypto Sapiens. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so Crypto Sapiens really is an evolution of something that I had been doing back in the early clubhouse days. I had created a community there where I was uh, bringing communities together, people together to learn from these builders about what is Web3, right? Um, it is why Bankless DAO was one of those. Uh, guests right before crypto sapiens even existed it was just a way to facilitate conversations between builders and crypto curious people as i've always called it because i was at one point very crypto curious and i remain crypto Mm -hmm. curious but definitely i would consider myself someone that has now for some time learned sufficiently enough to be able to build find like my place in it build that value for others um and then also to bridge Right? the relationship between all of that, between the projects that are being developed, but also the people that are my friends and uh, whether they are Web3 native or not. So after that event with Bankless DAO, I was like, this really speaks to me, what you're really coming here to do uh, in the Web3 space. Their positioning was this platform for you know Web3 media, like a media DAO, if you will. And they were bringing people together through this shared mission of education. And so I was like, this is really what I exist for in this space too, is to uh, bridge like, the complexity of crypto, of Web3, to uh, share my knowledge, to bridge the relationships that I've made with those people that want to learn more. And BanklessDAO said, well, if you want, you can actually come into the BanklessDAO and we'll help you bootstrap something a little bit bigger than what probably you're doing today, or just kind of like build with us what you're building already today. And so I went into the Bankless DAO, one of the first DAOs that I went to. And uh, together with their community, we bootstrapped what CryptoSapiens is today. So CryptoSapiens is a product of the Bankless DAO community. A lot of passionate, skilled people that have come together and said, I'm interested in AV engineering. Like I want to produce a really good-looking podcast, good-sounding podcast. Oh, I love marketing, and I want to help with distribution. I want to help with amplifying the message that you currently are having uh, with you know one-on-one conversations, uh, or others who like to kind of do research, and they help with the pre-production. So the team is probably like about five to six people, any given week, maybe a few more that come in from the bank list out to contribute and pick up bounties. Uh, But for the most part, uh, it is a media podcast, uh, a platform that we've extended, uh, you know, kind of this community that we've built to others that also want to host conversations that speak and connect with their own communities.
0: That's awesome. And I, I just want to touch on you talked about being crypto curious. And I think this journey resonates with a lot of folks in crypto. For my first year in crypto, I was purely curious Right? I was not ready to build. I was not ready to contribute. I just wanted to understand. I wanted to learn. I wanted to find my place. Like you said, you found your place eventually. And it took me a year of just learning and digging and networking and meeting and experimenting. And then finally, I got to the point where you said you're at, you know, of course, by now as well, which is, okay, I found my place and now it's time for me to build too. So I want to encourage everyone don't get discouraged if you're just a month in or even six months in and you feel like you don't get it yet, you're almost there. Just just keep digging, keep learning. And, and you, pretty soon you'll be where Humpty and, and where I'm at, which is now we're contributing to building the space.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, there's a huge learning curve, right? Um, when you think about the technology, but everything else that lives on top of that technology, that's the same thing that we've been doing. But there's just a lot more opportunity for that, whether it's just purely in working, right? So the be, the ability to be able to join a project and start contributing, like you don't have to go through an interview process. You just you know go and find where there's a need and start uh, contributing in that way. Or if you're more skilled, uh, finding a project community that has very skilled needs and then becoming a a role based contributor, if you will, right where you're consistently contributing in that space, whether that's design, whether that is engineering, whatever it is, just finding things that are in parallel to your skills or more importantly in my opinion in parallel to your values right because I think that that's one thing that web three really kind of uh does a good job of uh kind of capturing in the way that we build we don't just build in the direction of, you know, monetization, or we don't just build in in the direction of like a function. We also build from the values, right? From the founders to the communities that are built around them to maybe projects that they serve, if it's a B2B project. So it's really interesting to kind of see how you can assess your own values and then find projects and communities that vibe with that and then contributing to those.
0: Awesome. I love it. Um, all right. So it's time for the Just Doubt News report. Uh, as many of you know, the first half of the podcast, I will be going through several recent uh, headlines. I'll be reading the headlines, summarizing the stories, sharing my take, and then asking Humpty for his hot take on the story as well. And once we get through the news, we'll turn to the rest of our featured guest interview with Humpty, asking him more about his background, his experience, and his advice, and other uh, things that will be useful for people starting DAOs today. So the first story this week is from Cointelegraph. And the headline is, Panda DAO says it will dissolve and return investors' assets due to internal strife. Too much time in governance, too little time in development, too many voices in price, too tired and refunded all," a core team member wrote. What's happening here is a DAO is throwing in the towel, and leadership is blaming the situation on it being hard to run a DAO. And uh, they even said, Panda DAO has been online for nearly a year. We've managed to sidestep numerous market downfalls during that time. I might question that presence because there has not been numerous downfalls in the last year, maybe one. and they say they go on. Yet the real crisis we faced was dealing with management issues within our DAO. So this article talks about. Um, I mean, honestly, to me, I I don't think I'm really on board with what the founders are saying. I mean, it, there's a couple ways I like to tear this apart. One is DAOs are like businesses, right? I, I don't know, if seven out of ten or nine out of ten businesses fail. 7 out of 10 or 9 out of 10 DAOs are going to fail as well. And it's going to be either because people don't get along. There's no good team dynamics. The funding wasn't there. The product didn't work. There's no product market fit, um, leadership didn't work out. There's all kinds of things that go that can go wrong. And and that's fine. That's not a, a, a criticism of DAOs themselves. Um, but the other thing that the author is highlighting is that it's, it can be challenging to run an organization that's more decentralized and less hierarchical and works in ways that are different from what all of us are used to. And it sounds like this particular DAO couldn't really figure out how to um, structure things so that you'd have a productive relationship between investors, other community members and token holders, developers, engineers. And so, um, you know, they just they weren't able to, uh, to achieve what they wanted to.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I just, as soon as you were reading that, I started to smile because I remember like just moments before I talked about vibes, I talked about values, mm. uh, I talked about, you know, kind of like the technical layer, but also the uh, human layer uh, on t- that, that operates on top, on top of that, excuse me. Um, it's It's really interesting, right? Because I think partly, yes, I think that there's just a lot of experimentation going on and I love it. I love all the experimentation because there's just a lot of opportunity. And it's such an emergent space that that with with changing, you know, kind of dynamics, whether it's market dynamics or, you know, the the technical evolution, I think that over the last couple of years, already in the last four years, we've seen so much change, even in the way that we can build with community. So the experimentation is good, but I think also... Some of what lacks is a true operational skill to be able to execute on some of these really big ideas. And you know, I, I've seen this. I've seen this even in some of the projects that I've been a part of. So it is imperative that it isn't just about the vibes, right? It isn't just about uh the values, but that you have real ability to execute on these really ambitious goals because they really are but the other thing is i think part of the challenges right now is that a lot of these ecosystems are built to be open and i think some daos should probably be open there's like social daos that i can see how being an open ecosystem where anybody can join is valuable but if you're building a product if you're a protocol, is that necessarily good, right? Or do you want to be able to like segment communities by or curate, probably better said, communities by their abilities, right? Skills, because you need to be able to deliver. And can you vet these individual contributors as they're coming through, right? To ensure that there is a alignment between, the people that are already contributing to it, and what you're building in general. Um, that, that's, that's, that's really interesting to me. And it's one of the reasons why I'm really excited for what we're building at Orange Protocol, because we take a data-driven approach to how you can do all of this, how you can curate communities based on reputation, right? Based on the ability to show or prove that you have done X type of work over X amount of time, right? Um, That you are actively contributing to other projects that may be uh, similarly aligned. So if I'm a public goods platform, I may want to find other people who are also uh, public good native, if you will, right? Consistently contributing to that ecosystem. Um, And, you know, again, like I said, we do this, with data, because you know, data for the most part is unbiased, right? There isn't someone in the background going, "Yeah, Adam, you're the right person for this job." But there's a lot of bias behind that, right? Like, I mean, I may not think there is, but there's a lot, of, a lot of bias behind that decision. Whereas if we look at the data, the data can prove without necessarily having to like uh, be uh, filtered by all of our biases. So it's really interesting, just like I think obviously that's not the do all end all of course, but it's another piece in the puzzle and the direction to creating these communities that are much more robust and are aligned. Uh, And the same thing can be said for incentives, because who knows, maybe there was a problem between contributors because there was a unfair distribution of value at that point in terms of maybe tokens or payment. You wanna make sure that you're being fair And when there's that human element to those decisions, it's very difficult for it to be fair.
0: Yeah, so a couple of key issues that you brought up. One is um, openness uh, and how we let new people join the DAO. So for example, as contributors, do we want to have a DAO that's totally open, anyone can just come in and start contributing, or do we maybe need to filter and make sure that uh, people coming in are gonna be really effective at contributing to the project. And and then the other is uh, fairness towards those contributors and and having an environment that treats them well and so that they'll stick around. Uh, The next article actually touches on a different element of that openness question. So this is another article from Cointelegraph. And this headline is, Waves founder says, DAOs will never work without fixing governance. Decentralized autonomous organizations have too many attack vectors that affect important projects that needs to change for them to become practical governance models now uh, attack or, or otherwise what this article talks about is the open nature of the tokens that control DAOs in a lot of cases. And the fact that anyone in, in some cases, right, depending on the decisions you make, can come in and buy governance tokens uh, in your DAO and have control over the DAO. And so whether there's an attack or not, Um, a much uh, more mundane situation would be uh, people come in and buy tokens and maybe those people are not good governors, right? Maybe they don't do a good job of governing the project. And so just like we may want to control who, uh, what contributors can join the project, perhaps we need to be able to have some kind of control over what investors invest in the project or what uh, others uh, uh, purchase governance rights in the project. And otherwise we may have uh, bad, bad governance, even if we have good contributors.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. So again, if you recall, I mentioned there were these three pillars to Orange, and that is in the onboarding, uh, the incentive alignment, and the governance of DAOs. On the governance side, and by the way, I think that all of these things feed all the way through, right? Uh, if, you know, In terms of curating individuals and creating these uh, aligned incentives, all of this feeds to like governance as well. So in terms of governance, actually, I don't necessarily think that the token is the problem. I do see why projects have tokens, right? In terms of you know their ability to enable governance power to individuals who maybe early take on a risk, right? To acquire those tokens, uh, which then, of course, for many DAOs or some DAOs, um, also allows them some sort of runway to be able to develop, right? Using whatever gains they have had from those tokens. But at the end of the day, I think that the problem starts to become where you have people who are actively contributing to a DAO, having less of a voice than those who have the wealth to buy up those tokens, right? There's a uh, unbalance, if you will, between generating value in a DAO and being, you know, your, your fingers on the poles of what that DAO is doing and what it needs to do in order to grow and become better. And then someone who may not be actively contributing, but has a ton of tokens and says, I'm going to vote in this direction. Whether that's the right direction or not, that is, you know, my influence in this organization. It should there should be a, a balance of the two. I'm not saying that token-weighted voting should go away, but there should be some sort of like uh balance between reputation-weighted voting, right? Based on someone's contributorship in a DAO. And token-weighted voting. And in fact, currently, Orange Protocol has a strategy on Snapshot that you can test out. And what you can do is you can actually uh, fine-tune that balance. Do you want tokens to be 60% and reputation to be 40% of that weight? Or do you want reputation to be 80% and token uh, weight to be 20%? And you can kind of play around with these numbers to try to identify where that sweet spot is for your organization, right? In terms of... Being able to like capture the sentiment of your community that's actively building and generating ba- value in that organization, uh, while also recognizing the value of your token holders, right? your governance token holders. Um, there's a lot more kind of experimentation that's going to happen in that area. I can't really talk about it too much, but we're also looking to see how we can generate some additional, uh, or, or I guess, uh, support in the creation of additional frameworks of governance on platforms like Snapshot. So I'm really interested to see how that continues to develop using protocols like Orange.
0: Yeah, a reputation is a huge uh, component in how a lot of DAOs work, and especially will be in the future. You know, a popular example of this is uh, Optimism's DAO, so the DAO that governs the Optimism uh, Layer 2 network. And in that DAO, they have what they call a bicameral uh, governance model. Uh, it looks similar to the US government, for those who are familiar with it, where you have kind of two houses one house is controlled by the fungible token holders so those financial tokens that people can buy and sell and then the other house is controlled basically by reputation holders i don't know if they call it exactly that but that's more like the people's house where you can only earn governance rights you can't buy them and the system will be controlled overall by both houses and maybe some things one house will have more say than the other and in other situations um, maybe the other house will have more or the houses will be equal And this is actually another good segue this time into uh, another article this week, which is a post from Vitalik Buterin's blog. Um, Definitely recommend uh, that everyone read all of Vitalik's articles uh, if you haven't yet, or at least the ones that sound like they may be relevant to you because they're usually quite brilliant. Um, This article's title is DAOs are not corporations where decentralization in autonomous organizations matters. And it's a long article. Um, One of the sections of the article towards the end talks about um, whether DAOs should be more like corporations or whether they should be more like governments. And it's not like they have to pick one or the other or those are necessarily the only two options. But I do think that a lot of DAOs uh, that we see today are trying to take more from the traditional world of democratic governments than they are from the traditional world of corporations. Um, So, you know, like in that uh, what we were just talking about before in terms of having some kind of bicameral legislature or even the idea that everything should be based on voting rather than some kind of individual groups or hierarchy making decisions is a very uh, government like thing to do. Um, I think actually the most important thing is that DAOs should be learning from both corporations and political science and and politics in general, to pull some of the best or unique elements of each of those into each situation when it's most relevant. Um, So it's certainly something I would encourage people to think about. And I would say, if you're listening to this podcast or you're interested in DAOs and you have a lot of leadership experience from the corporate world or experience in the political world, you certainly have a lot to bring to the world of DAOs because we need people who are great leaders uh, in, in both of these spaces, coming to the worlds of DAOs and, and helping us figure out how to do DAOs right. Uh, this article also introduces a number of other interesting concepts and frameworks. One of the ones I've heard a lot of people talk about is this question of convex versus concave uh, decisions. So to try to simplify it, a concave decision is one where some kind of compromise is imagine a, a curve that's higher in the middle like a hill and lower on the sides and the higher you are the better the outcome is and option a you know half the people want to go all the way to the left and half want to go all the way to the right and if you end up either all the way to the, the left or right you're going to have a worse outcome than if you end up in the middle so in that type of situation you probably just don't want to just vote between a and b because if you vote between A and B, you're gonna end up at a, a less than optimal outcome versus if you compromise somehow and end up with a subjective solution in the middle, that will be the best outcome. Now a convex decision is one where actually the whole, uh, the whole will be better off if you simply choose A or B, but do not end up somewhere in the middle. Now in this case, you probably do wanna have a vote amongst the community so that you do end up with just A or just B and you don't try to compromise and end up uh, somewhere in the middle. So this Vitalik calls the concave versus convex uh, worldview, and it, it's a, a an important way you can look at your project or your community or your scenario and try to decide whether a DAO makes sense and what type of governance structure makes sense in a DAO. So I've got to I gotta admit I haven't
1: read it yet, so I can't comment on it directly. But in terms of you know the things that we can learn outside of the kind of decentralized organization space or from the DAO space or from the Web3 space, just because it's so new. There's a lot, definitely I agree, there's a lot we can take away from, you know, uh, types of ecosystems that have been developed in the past that may have some parallels to the way that we're building the Web3 today, like co-ops, for instance, right? And how they operate. Also, there's a ton of really good material that we can be reading. And I'm always really excited to hear from some of my Web3 friends uh, what their recommendations are to what we should be reading in terms of like how we can be better operators in the space. And one of the books that was recommended to me early, I would say like early in my DAO career, right? (laughs) Like over a year ago when I was starting to explore DAOs, I heard Zach and, uh, per- primarily Zach from Cordnabe, uh, but also Tracheopteryx, talking about reinventing organizations by Frederick Lallou. And it talks about teal organizations, and it frames it from you know this historical perspective of how organizations have evolved, starting with medieval organizations, right? Uh, through green organizations, where we currently are, down to teal organizations, where we hope to be. Uh, and they provide a lot of examples, like co-ops, in terms of how they operate like this shared uh, these shared mission, but also shared value from the organizational level. And so I highly recommend that one if anybody's interested in learning something. It's a bit, not a, not a light read, but certainly if you get the ebook or the uh, audio book, it's probably a little easier. The other one that I uh, recently finished reading was uh, Yancy Strickler's uh, This Could Be Our Future. And he is the co-founder and was CEO of Kickstarter. And he talks about you know, kind of this idea of like uh, the financial maximization of everything, but he really frames it from this idea of like repositioning how business operates and what is their true purpose, right? In terms of like generating value for people, Um, you know, and I think that was really influential to me to help me better frame some of the challenges that I saw both through my own kind of DAO journey, but also through the projects that I am building, uh, so I think, yeah, there's just a tremendous amount of knowledge. And if we just restrict ourselves to like what people are saying in the web through ecosystem, then we're really kind of hurting ourselves and our future opportunities. Like you said, there's like government ways of like the the ways that governments work. But I think that that might just be a good way to kind of frame the way that we can establish governance. But being that there's a lot more kind of innovation and technology at play here that allows for, like, kind of this richer community experience. Looking at how other less centralized, more community operated organizations work, I think is uh, hugely beneficial. And I think w- we would be better for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. The last uh, article we will talk about today is from Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance. It's called A Primer on DAOs. And uh, what's really exciting about this is just that Harvard Law School is writing about DAOs. And I think it really exemplifies what we've seen over the last three or four months, which is really the emergence of uh, mainstream media and just the mainstream world uh, starting to see what's happening with DAOs and get excited about it and educate themselves about it. Um, There's one uh, cool line I do wanna share from this article, which is, In colonial times, there were joint stock corporations. Then came our modern day corporations, then limited liability companies or LLCs. Now there are DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations. So what this group of lawyers and uh, researchers from Harvard Law School is basically saying here is DAOs are the fourth great Uh, revolution or evolution of how people organize themselves for a business purpose. And maybe they're also more than that, but um, I, you know, I've certainly used the same analogy in presentations I've given where you go back to basically the Dutch East Indies company in 1600s or so. And um, the fact that they invented this concept of limited liability and just how much progress the world has seen, thanks to this new way of organizing people. And now we're just seeing the emergence of the fourth great uh, great innovation in this space of, of human organization. I think it's obviously extremely exciting. And uh, for anyone who wants a good uh, primer, especially from a legal perspective on DAOs, this article talks about uh, legal issues facing DAOs and cases that have come up um, where uh, DAOs are being sued uh, for various reasons. And so Really good resource to check out. Uh, any uh, take on this one, Humpty?
1: No, n- nothing more than just to say I'm really excited to see the adoption uh, or innovation at the government level too in terms of uh, acknowledging these new ways of organizing, these new ways of doing business. I think, you know, obviously Delaware, long time pioneer in the LLC space, but seeing new Uh, states, at least here in the U.S., kind of take on some of that leadership in the decentralized organization space with Wyoming. And I think if not Florida, Miami specifically, Um, I know Colorado is doing a ton, uh, working with the local communities there to learn and open up opportunities for people to build in that way in that state. Um, I don't know if they necessarily uh, have gone full DAO, but I think that they've implemented, they have this like co-op law where you can build uh, organizations under that framework, which definitely opens up a lot of opportunity for, you know, this type of um, development and kind of building happening there in that state. And obviously for anybody who's been in the Web3 space long enough, you know that there's a lot happening in Colorado in Web3. Like ETH Denver happens there annually. MCON now has, I think, hit a stride. You know, a lot of people congregate there to kind of share, you know, ideas and innovate together. It's great to see the embrace from the local government to say, we see you, we recognize you, we want to uh, support you.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. And this article does talk about Colorado, it talks about our Marshall Islands uh, LLCs that are made for DAOs, and it also talks about some other jurisdictions and what they're doing specifically to uh, recognize uh, DAOs and uh, digital asset projects in general. So there's a couple more stories uh, you can find if you check out the show notes that we won't have time to go over today because I want to turn to the featured guest interview uh, with Humpty. So uh, Humpty, uh, you did already tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into Web3 and DAOs. So maybe I'll ask you, um, what is it that makes you so excited about being in Web3 and DAOs?
1: It's going to sound a little backwards, but I like the bear market right? And (laughs) not for the reasons that most people would think, right? People think the financial aspect of it tanks. But what I like about the bear market, because this would be my second bear, right? Like I said, I came in in 2016 and then I saw the market kind of uh, do a correction, if you will. But what I saw was in the last bear market and what I expect out of this bear market is a lot of really smart people, a lot of really passionate people coming in, finding their tribe, uh, seeing the gaps in the way that we're currently organizing, the way that we're currently using the technology, and innovating together and creating something just so unexpected on the other end. Like, I don't think anybody really saw DeFi becoming what it was just a few years ago. We forget it wasn't that long ago where DeFi summer was, you know, everything that people were talking about. And rightly so. I think DeFi just completely just changed the way that we see money, right? And the way that we interact with money, uh, the way that we own money. So I think that that was hugely important. The NFT space, looking at it from the intellectual property side of things to the entertainment, side of things to be able to like create a brand and be able to, you know, just create value in that way and uh, be able to like build communities using, uh, you know, that application or uh, kind of implementation of the technology, I think is really interesting. DAOs, I still don't think they've seen their summer. You know, I think DAOs, we just started to scratch the surface, right? So, what i expect right now is a lot of really smart passionate people to come together and find really interesting ways of using the technology but doing so with people right because the the human element to me is probably the most important piece of all of this we're able to come together in ways that we haven't been able to before using technology we're able to come together and own you know a lot of what we Build like our identities and our data and all this in the Web3 space in ways that we've never been able to do that before. And so, developers like ourselves at Orange, we see this and we want to make sure that we are supporting this innovation, right, in positive ways. And so, we build with communities, we build in the open. And so, the bear market to me represents a moment where innovation happens and accelerates the way that we can use this technology, right? Whether it's through adoption or whether just purely through really cool applications, right? Like one of my favorite projects out there right now is Lens Protocol, right? And like what their vision is, right? And the ability to kind of decentralize social and to build on top of this protocol. I'm a nerd for social graphs. And I've seen the evolution of social graphs. You know, Bright ID being one of those first social graphs that I started to see in terms of people uh, verifying each other's identity. Uh, Coordinate was another graph that I saw in terms of the P2P incentives. Um, And, you know, I think another uh, project that's doing pretty cool things with the graph is uh, Govern with contribution graphs, Dwork. You know, I, I'm starting to see these graphs become richer and richer and more meaningful. And now Lens is saying, let's take these graphs and let's actually be use them in ways that like uh, capture value for those people who are using the protocol to be able to interact with one another in meaningful ways. And yeah, I think it's super cool to see how that is evolving. And of course, social is like we are social beings, so It just makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. So if I were to try to summarize what Lens is for someone who hasn't heard of it, I would probably say something like, what if Facebook were owned by the community instead of by a centralized entity? Does that do it justice? Or or how would you describe what's so powerful about what Lens is doing?
1: I mean, yeah, you own everything that you do, right? From your identity to your data. Again, those are huge and important things that I don't think get a lot of, a lot of attention, you know, because I think to some degree, especially in a bull market, there's a lot of attention to the financial element of the space, but the bear market kind of shuts down a lot of that, which is kind of mm. partly why I like it. Cause now I can talk to people and we actually make sense about what we're building, not purely speculating and don't get me wrong. There's something fun about the gamification of that uh, too. But at the end of the day, you know, if we're really trying to make a difference here with the technology that we're building, then we're not going to do it driven by, you know, financial things. We're doing it by empowering people, uh, you know, with their, their identity, their data, uh, and being able to allow them to build with that. So there's just yeah. a ton of really cool projects in that space too. A lot of friends of mine, disco, ceramic, who I'm very excited to see continuing to develop. You know their technology and integrating that to what we're building at Orange Protocol too.
0: Yeah, so I want to make sure I understand Orange. So it sounds like Orange, you think of it th- at least through the ends of the lens of a graph. Um, So I, I, let's see if I if I can uh, connect what it does to how it uses a graph. It sounds like it's a graph of uh, reputation in the sense that uh, if you want to know who's good at what who has done what, who can be trusted for what, you can use this graph to figure that out and then use that information to build it down more effectively. Is that right? Or how would you describe uh, what Orange Protocol does? So the short of it is whenever I introduce Orange to people,
1: I say we're building the reputation layer of Web3. And that I think causes people to kind of stop and think, what the heck does that mean? The reputation (laughs) layer of Web3, right? But we live in a space, in the Web3 space where we operate with open data. You know, in in on-chain, right? Open data on-chain. But off-chain, obviously, not as open, but you can still access it through APIs and SDKs. Not standardized. So if you're trying to develop with that data, it isn't simple to be able to do it across a variety of applications. Orange, we took it upon ourselves to basically aggregate that data. You know, on-chain data being fed through, like, uh, EtherScan and BSCScan. Because that's the other thing, is... Orange Protocol is uh, a multi-chain, right? It, It doesn't just exist on Ethereum. Because we are built on top of this DID standard, right? We're able to enable anyone who owns their identity, right? Decentralized identity. They can own their identity across any blockchain where this is implemented. So currently, I think it's like seven blockchains that include Ethereum, Ontology, BNB Chain, Near Protocol a lot of these blockchains where there's a lot of uh, activity going on, right? BNB chaining with DeFi, Near Protocol, I think they have a strong DAO ecosystem. Solana has a strong NFT ecosystem. Being able to bridge your reputation, firstly, from all of these different, um, you know, blockchains so that you can, or you're, yeah, the, the work, that, the activity that you have there to build a reputation from all these different blockchains. So the on-chain stuff is, is, I think, simple, easy. The off-chain stuff is a little tricky. So we've also onboarded Projects like Gitcoin and uh, DAO House and Snapshot and Collabland and you know a lot of really interesting and important projects in the Web three space space excuse me we provision that data through Orange so that on the other end anyone the goal is anyone right currently it's a very white glove service because we're in public beta but in the future we do want to make sure that this is accessible to anyone to do this in ways that are no code with low friction. Um, where anyone can go and say, okay, of this data, if I'm an individual, if I'm a Web3 game, if I'm a DAO, if I'm a governance tool, I want to be able to signal reputable members in my organization, whether that is people who are actively participating in governance. You know, they are not just coming in once a year and participating in one vote or not at all, but these people are consistently participating in governance. Or I want to signal those Individuals who are who stand for public goods, who are constantly contributing to other projects on Gitcoin, or have their own project on Gitcoin, right? Or who are because oh, we provision Dwork data. In fact, we have a campaign starting off uh, soon this week, uh, where based on your contributions, you know, consistently to a project using Dwork, all of these things, you can create a model that states the, what is a reputable member, right? Because Orange does not want to say what we think reputation is. It doesn't matter what we think because it's contextual. It depends on that moment in time and the needs of the organization. And based on that, this individual can verify that they have met that criteria using these private, off-chain, encrypted, uh, you know, standard called verifiable credentials that work hand in hand with DIDs. So they're user owned, no one has access to that information, right? Um, And then that itself can become a primitive in the Web3 ecosystem. In fact, there's projects like Collabland that are already integrating VCs as a way to uh, recognize certain activities in their ecosystem, right? But so Orange is creating these VCs. But on top of that, we recognize that there's an importance to on-chain primitives like NFTs. So we bridge that reputation Right, without revealing any private data, we bridge that reputation to non-transferable NFT. So now you can take that NFT and do just about anything you want with it. You can airdrop something to someone that has that non-transferable NFT, for instance, right? because they've proven some sort of reputability and you want that person in your community, for instance. You can reuse that in the way that you design incentives with your organization through Dwork, for instance, where if you have that NFT... And you're being streamed that NFT because you're consistently contributing over time to that project. Well, let's make sure that we retain you as a contributor because you're adding tons of value. And now we can prove that, right? And so you think of someone not having to go back to that same uh, DAO and and fight for this and bid for the same bounty. Now they they can actually the DAO can signal, oh, this person is a valuable contributor. Let's ten x that. Bounty, because we want to make sure that this individual who has now shown proficiency, it remains in this community. Because also this ecosystem is growing all the time. People can go wherever they want, and the churn is real. You know when it comes to DAOs. So all of these things are really interesting in ways that you can you know use these. Um, but you know more recently with the demo that we did at MCon with Collabland and Metacartel and Hats Protocol and Sobel. Uh, we actually integrated the orange NFTs into Collabland. So now, instead of thinking of like token gating in the traditional sense where you have to buy into a community, you can actually reputation gate. So if someone has proven some commitment and contribution to your project, you can start gating now or provisioning access to individuals based on that asset, right, that they have in their
0: wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. It's awesome. It's like a a, a simplified way of looking at it might be if you think about the LinkedIn recommendation system, but so much better, so much more open, so much more tied to identity and other uh, things you can trust, like DAOs that you're aware of or part of. Um, I, the, I think the impact is going to be just massive. You, you've already told us a lot of your some of your favorite tools and your favorite DAOs, or DAOs at least, that people should check out. So if anyone hasn't yet, go through this episode, check out all the tools that Humpty has mentioned. These are some of the leading tools and up and coming tools in the DAO space. Uh, as well as some of the DAOs he's mentioned, too. Uh, to. um, the last couple questions I want to ask you, Humpty, are um, looking for your advice for people who are starting DAOs today or running DAOs today as, as leaders, whether they're hierarchical or not. So my first question for you is, what are some of the most common challenges you've seen faced by DAOs that you've been a part of? And how would you suggest that people address those challenges?
1: So I think one of the challenges that I've seen And again, this might be biased, but, you know, the ability to signal valuable contributors, right, or just recognize these contributors. I think one of the the tools that, in my opinion, did a really good job of bridging that or taking that challenge on is coordinate, where it's hard, especially when you scale out a DAO to recognize who is contributing, who is creating value in your organization and saying, here's you know, your reward for having done that. Here's your remuneration for contributing. It's hard because there may be someone who is quietly working and you just didn't even know that, you know, they were building and you don't, you didn't realize the value that they're creating. So coordinate is a cool tool because it isn't depending on leadership, right? To determine value, but it's uh, their peers. So their peers say, Hey, I see you. We work together on this. Let me make sure that I recognize you for the work that you did. And so it detaches that from this hierarchical right structure of how you reward uh, your contributors. But I think there's a lot yet to be desired in other areas and specifically in governance and how we recognize those individuals. And so again, it's just one of the reasons why I get out of bed every morning and Kind of start working on Orange because I do think that there is a lot of opportunity for being able to create a system that is more autonomous, right, in the way that it operates, where it's more efficient, and where it is uh, more fair, right. The other thing, you know, I think there's two words that resonate with me always and are like my two words that I use in the mantra of of anything that I do, and that's fair, fairness, and inclusivity. Right. And I think, you know, looking at this reputation layer, it's about creating a system that's fair because it's detached from our personal biases. And the same for inclusivity is open to anyone to contribute, regardless of where in the world you're from.
0: And uh, how about number one piece of advice you would give to someone who comes up to you and says, hey, Humpty, I'm starting a DAO tomorrow. What's the one thing I need to know? Ah,
1: you're starting a doubt tomorrow. So you've made that decision even after looking at everything yep. that's going on. So <laughs> would say, I'd say, bravo, you know, make sure that there's something that's clearly differentiated. Like really think about this as a business, right? Make sure that something is clearly differentiated. You don't want to go into a space that just has a ton of other projects building in the same direction because, you know, I like this idea of cooperation, right? Like where it's cooperative. We're building together. Instead of like having to rebuild the same thing, see if there's challenges in like the way that that's being built. And then especially if it's like a protocol DAO or something like that, uh, where you're developing a tool specifically for DAOs or anything like that. Look at the way, look at the challenges in how that's being developed and see if there's a way for you to add value by supporting that development, right? So really kind of come from it from a place of cooperation, right? And then recognizing that there's a big ecosystem already uh, and that whatever you do, especially if you starting with the word DAO, right? That whatever you're doing, it is creating some sort of value back to the community that's supporting that. Ownership, right? I think that's the other thing that we have yet to crack in the DAO space is how do we provide ownership? to these contributors that for a long time are adding value to the project. I think Dow House was doing something interesting in how you could take your rewards and then you can trade those in for shares, like voting shares, which give you ownership into that treasury of the DAO too. I think that's really interesting. And I think that a lot more experimentation needs to happen in that direction. But if you're building a DAO, think about that. Because there's people that are going to be contributing to your project, you want to make sure that you know, especially if they're adding a lot of value consistently, that they have a way of capturing some of that, you know, for themselves uh, as as owners of the project.
0: Yeah, love it. Yeah, some of my guests, when I've asked them what piece of advice they would give to that person, have said, "Are you sure you want to start a DAO?" would be their first question. <laughs> so I think people should definitely also know why they're starting a DAO and not just starting a normal company. And obviously, I believe there's lots of good reasons why you why you should consider starting a DAO instead, but you should know why you're doing it. Um, Humpty, this has been amazing. I so appreciate you coming on. Uh, would you please let everyone know where can they find you? Where can they find your projects on the web and on social?
1: First of all, Yes. Thank you for having me. This is really exciting. As I said, it's interesting to turn the camera back on me. I'm normally doing the <laughs> interviewing with other, other people. So I'm really excited to have had a chance to talk to you and just share a little bit about like my journey so far. Um, you can find me personally on Twitter, usually uh, unhealthy habit there too much, but it's at Humpty <laughs> Calderon. My projects, Orange Protocol, so at Orange Protocol on Twitter and CryptoSapiens is at CryptoSapiens underscore. The websites for those projects, OrangeProtocol.io and CryptoSapiens.xyz.
0: Awesome. Humpty. Thank you again. And for the audience, you can find me on Twitter at 0xThriller. You can find MyDAO at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S or at MyDAO.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a review on whatever platform you're using to listen to the podcast. And are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. Just is It is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just DAO It does not contain any legal or financial advice. My Dow also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.